Now, I remember saying in 2015 that, um, you know, there was a whole bunch of Blue Jays history between 1993 and 2015 that people sometimes glossed over because there weren't any, uh, there weren't any World Series, there were postseason appearances. But there were a lot of great players to play for the organization during that time. What happened in and around 2010, 2011, though, was I think the beginning of a renaissance for the Blue Jays. We had a couple of things happen. Um, the decision to go back to the classic blue, Blue Jays uniforms, mm-hmm. away from the black uniforms. Yeah. The decision to go back to the classic blue uniforms um, kind of reawakened interest in the brand with the new generation of fans. But to me, the biggest thing, and, and I will say this, the biggest thing to happen was the acquisition of Jose Bautista and the development of Jose Bautista into a superstar. Because if you look back to the all-star votes in 2010, 2011, Jose Bautista broke Ken Griffey Jr.'s record for all-star votes. That was hugely important because I, I, will, I will say this until I'm off the planet, that Jose Bautista is the reason the Blue Jays had a national imprint. You know that. Everybody, yep. everybody in the country got involved in getting Jose into the all-star mm-hmm. game. It was just, it was a really remarkable convergence, certainly for the Blue Jays and for baseball fans in Canada. And also I would have to think for our next guest who is going up on the level of excellence on Saturday. He is Jose Bautista. Jose, thank you very much for joining Kevin and me. Uh, Congratulations on a richly deserved honor. I'm sure it's going to be a great day. I'm sure everybody's going to have a lot of fun. There'll be a huge crowd there. Um, August 21st, 2008, when you were traded to the Blue Jays, what did you think, um, like, what did, where did you see your career going when that deal was made? Well, thanks for having me, guys. And, you know, before I answer that, and I might need you to re-ask the question, I mean, you got to let me follow up that intro because, you know, I'm blushing over here, so I'm glad this is a radio and not a TV interview. Um, But thank you for your kind words. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I I didn't know, to answer your question, I didn't know where my career was going at that moment. All I knew is I was ready and looking for a fresh start. You know, I was coming from, an organization that was going through a lot of changes in the front office. And with that, you know, what happens typically in baseball, everything changes. I was part of the previous regime and, you know, just like every other player that got signed and drafted. Well, not every single one, but the majority of us, um, we, we had a new home by the end of the calendar year. So um, I ended up in Toronto, you know, and I been to Toronto once when I was a, member of the the Tampa Bay Rays briefly in my rookie year, which I was rolled five. Um, and that's another story. I think mm-hmm. I might have come there too with Baltimore. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember exactly right now. But, you know, I knew that it was a great city, great place to play, but, you know, and they had the history, right? That was my recollection. Being from the Dominican Republic um, was one of the first academies, um, was – four teams was in the Dominican was the Dodgers and, and the Blue Jays. So 
I knew about the organizations and the Dominican players that had played in it. So I was familiar with the franchise, but as far as my career, just looking for a fresh start and an opportunity. And, but I knew, I knew at that point I had to make some adjustment that would hopefully lead to consistency and in my production and, Boy, am I glad that I went to Toronto because that's where I find the guidance and the the patience and and also the 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 opportunity that was eventually given to me to to go back to playing every single day and, and that's what led to putting up the numbers. Who who in those early years when you got to Toronto, who were the guys or who was the guy that kind of that that you gravitated to and the guys that laid the foundation for you to go on and what be a six time All Star. As far as players and teammates, you know, I, the guys that I was circling around were Scott Rowland, uh, B.J. Ryan. I had them in Baltimore for a little bit. You know, Vernon, Marco Scudero, Rod Barajas. Um, it, it was a good mix of guys. Alex Rios. It was a good mix of guys, different personalities. But, you know, it was a different style of the game, the AL East versus the NL Central, and different makeup of the team, a bunch of veterans on good deals. But, guys that were used to success like Scott Rowland and others, you know, um, Roy Holiday, AJ Burnett, like along with the names that I mentioned before, it was just a different makeup of the team. So the culture was different. The the environment was different. There was no, you know, no wasting time and not goofing around. You, You show up to work every single day and we're trying to win. And when we don't, it's not okay. Right. And, as opposed to the Pirates, I came from great organization, but they were in a different, you know, different um, stage in in their organizational need for for winning. I guess because we were just developing talent, bunch of young guys trying to make a name for themselves, trying to see if there was, you know, superstars in that mix. And there ended up being a few like Andrew McCutcheon and others, and myself and and some other names. But for some, it happened that in Pittsburgh and some others uh, away, but. Um, you know, those were the guys that I was kind of hanging around, but I would say that the biggest impact for sure was Cito Gaston and Dwayne Murphy and Gene Tennis on the, in the hitting side. Jose, I was very fortunate to play against you in winter ball. And I can just remember that part of it, watching you with bat speed and watching you around the batting cage and how much bat speed you had. And I remember when I was playing against you in winter ball, I can remember where your hand started and the leg kick. And I just wonder, I, I, I listened to you talk here about, you know, evolving into the hitter that you became, but it has to start somewhere. Is there a moment in a cage where you decided, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to start my hands here. I'm going to kick my leg here and I'm going to try and backspin balls to the pool side. Do you remember that time that day? No. And, and I don't think I look, I, I don't think the changes happened like that for me. Um, I think I let my body do what it, was wanting to do for me it was timing throughout the pitcher's delivery when do i start that was the thing for me and you know the more video and the more talking i did with cito and Dwayne, i understood like one it was completely inconsistent there was a guy from the stretch another one from the windup, another one with quick delivery and another one doing slide steps i wouldn't know when to start my hands and when to get ready it, it was it was an afterthought it was something that i never considered at that point and they were like, listen, you got to find something consistent within every pitcher's delivery that you can go to, and that's your trigger. That's what gets you going. That's what gets you started. And for me, it was the pitcher taking the ball out of the glove. 
you know, every pitcher has to do it to deliver the pitch. And from there, just worked on that rhythm, that timing. For me, it felt awkward at first because it was ultra early from what I was accustomed to. Um, and it took some time, you know, to get used to and get comfortable with it. But eventually I, I got it. And I don't remember one specific day, but um, sometimes I, I think there was some games in September of '09 where just stuff started clicking and I was just not and felt different. And the concern was not like, okay, what am I looking for? What does it feel like? Like I knew it was different and it was more just, okay, how do I repeat it now? So just change the focus on it at that point. You know, Jose, I can remember having a conversation with Alex Anthopoulos about you one time and he was talking about your ability to, to stay in shape. And he said, it's almost like Jose views himself, and he meant this as a as a as a compliment. Yep. It's almost like he views himself as a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. You've got to invest in yourself. You've got to do some R and D, right? You know, you you've got to you've got to treat it as a business. But at the same time, one of the things that, of course, you were very you know it was very obvious one you had a burning desire to win so it wasn't like you were this aloof sort of business oriented guy you had a burning desire to win and you also had kind of a sense of fun which i think we saw with the whole evolution of joey bats i mean i can still remember the mlb network piece you did on 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 joey bats just can you tell us a little bit about how you were able to sort of balance those three um influences or those three demands because quite often it's hard for for folks to do that not just in baseball but i mean life in general to treat to have fun but be professional at the same time yeah i think over time you start looking at you know what's working what's not working what allows me to be great what do i get the most out of and you know, enjoying yourself is huge because if you just focus on the business side or, or the professionalism, then you get too stressed out and then you get irritable and then, you know, you don't have a good relationship with your family or other people and it, it can it can weigh down on you. So, you know, having fun is, is essential, but having good habits to, again, going back to that consistency that can breed consistency was important. And, um, you know, I think Alex was had a good assessment. He's he's a people person. He can stand back and look and and kind of inform his opinion. And in that sense, it was pretty accurate. I wouldn't say a Fortune 500 company, but I treat myself as you know an athlete that plays a sport he loves for a living, tries to have fun. But in order to get the success, you know, has to put in the work. And then, how do I find the best resources to help me achieve you know my ultimate goal of hopefully getting the most out of my talent, but, you know, showing up every day and being able to to deliver. And that's just pouring some of my resources into a good trainer, sleep, good nutrition. You know, the mainstays, like, I mean, think about it. If you have, God forbid, knock on wood, to go in to the operating room for surgery, do you want your surgeon the night before to be partying all night and, you know, drinking and doing other stuff? when he's going to operate you in the morning? No. So it's the same thing for baseball. It's just, it takes discipline, it takes dedication. And again, it's not like you were, I was a robot or had to do it every single day out of my life, but there's a balance in everything. And I think having the different 
things to, to focus on at different times of the day allowed me to create enough separation to where I wasn't, you know, too stressed out because I was only single focus on, on one of those three parts. Jose, how do you watch the game now? Like as a hitter, a former hitter, a former really good hitter, how do you watch the game? Do you have at-bats at home? I'm, I try to do that. I was never the hitter you were, but I try to have that on the on deck circle at bat. Do you do that? I try. I try to follow the, the flow of the game and how pitches are trying to attack. And But for the most part, man, it's hitting is getting harder and harder. It is. Um, it, I mean, to get, to have guys that even on the starting rotation, you don't have the Jeff Supons in the world, you know, just mm. throwing 90 to 91 two seamers with a big lollipop breaking ball and maybe a decent changeup, you know. Uh, everybody's throwing 95 plus and if it's out of the bullpen forget about it some of the off-speed stuff is over 90 miles an hour and they attack the, the top of the zone it feels like you know since you know i got to the big leagues and throughout my career it feels like the strike zone has changed a little bit um they call the high pitch a little more often and for me that was my weakness i love the low pitch and um that's maybe why i struggled a little bit towards the end of my career um it, it's just hard. It, it seems like everybody's just out there looking to, to swing and a miss uh, from the pitching side, and everybody at the plate is looking for homers. I think that era of that style may be coming to another transition and hopefully getting back to with some of these rule changes too, pushing it um, to a little bit of old school. And by that I mean, Hitting runs, more stolen bases, and more high contact and pitch efficiency, and getting guys out with less amount of pitches. Um, I think that's a that creates more action. I think it's a more enjoyable, you know, product to watch from from home on the TV. So I can't wait for those changes to keep impacting the game the way that it has. So, uh, but it's tough, man. When I look at what pitchers are doing these days, and then see like what that kid. Arias is doing in Miami. I'm like, man, he is gifted because I don't know how that's possible with some of the stuff coming out of these guys' hands. Now, Jose, I'm pretty certain that at some point Saturday, uh, the uh, video of the bat flip will be played. I think it's probably safe to say that. Um, Obviously, it was a signature moment for this franchise and signature moment for you. I mean, it's a signature moment in Canadian sports history. It's still... People watch it and they still get goosebumps. Um, do you think people, do people overlook the balance of your career because of that? In other words, do you ever get tired of having people ask you questions about it like I just did or come up to you and talk about it? Like, because there was so much more to you in your career than that bat flip. No, it doesn't. It doesn't become that at all. I mean, you understand it, and it's a conversation piece, right? And mm-hmm. it typically, people lead with it and they start with that. But that's, or at least from my interaction and my personal experience talking to fans and other other folks, uh, it it goes beyond that. Um, and I'm grateful. So, but to be remembered for doing something great for a franchise that hadn't been in the playoffs for 22 years, am I going to complain about that? Absolutely not. I think. Uh, I was lucky enough to be in that moment and even happier that I was able to do something positive. Uh, other than the bat flip, is there a moment that you remember? Like mine was the first day I got called up. That was probably the most important part of my baseball career. Do you have a moment like that? Like, is there one of those moments where no matter what, you'll never forget that? 
Yeah, clinching the playoffs for the first time was huge. I mean, at that point, I had played in the big leagues for over 10 years. Um, my first, again, day in the big leagues, I was with the Orioles, having gotten Rule 5 from the Pirates. That was huge. So two days before getting the news after being with them for all spring training from Lee Mazzilli that I had made the team, that was a great moment. Hitting, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 home runs, 54 home runs, all those moments are are you know, ones that I'm going to cherish forever. And uh, I get to enjoy them now that I'm retired. Awesome. Did, uh, was there, did you ever run into to folks with the Orioles or the Pirates or even the Rays organization to say, man, you know, we, I can't believe we had you in our hands and, and we let you go. And if you did, how did you take that? Was that just, just, you know, the business of baseball? Yeah, it's the business of baseball. I mean, I've seen it happen you know, on the other end, by me being a teammate of somebody that leaves and ends up being great somewhere else. Um, you know, there's so many variables to that analysis that it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint because every situation individually mm-hmm. is so different. So, But I have heard comments, um, especially from people that say um, something to the tune of, I knew that we shouldn't have let you go. I kept asking them to keep you or something like that, but yeah, it's fun to reminisce and come in, in contact with people that, you know, your baseball path kind of crossed in the past and just kind of, you know, have that type of conversation. Jose, listen, we really appreciate you joining us today. It's going to be a lot of fun on yeah. Saturday. Enjoy it. Congratulations. It's uh, very richly deserved. Yeah. Thank you both. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jose. Jose Batista, he will be going into or onto the level of excellence. Um, the bat flip was tremendous, but I, you know what, I, my memories of, of of Jose a lot of times are his defense, his arm. Yeah, that too. The 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 only the I, I got to be honest. Remember Brian Butterfield one time said his arm. He uh, Butterfield is only who could said he's like the one guy we have in this team whose arm is a game changer. Yeah. Well, the the one thing I remember is bat speed. It was second it was, to none. Yeah. Oh, well, we were standing around the batting cage, and I can remember the first time that I had really gotten into this part of my life where I was trying to break down swings and, you know, try and figure out ways to to change how you talk about certain swings. And it's just walking around a cage when he was hitting, and I, was, I remember standing with you, and I had my back turned. And you didn't have to even turn around to know who was yeah. hitting because you could hear it. Like, you-, you could hear A to B. And that was what I remember. And that's why I asked him about the leg kick and where he started his hands. You know, his hands were a little bit closer to his face. It was a movement that sort of was in tune with the leg kick. And we talk about timing. And he mentioned, you know, the the, the ball out of the hand out of the glove. It sounds simple. Well, why wouldn't everybody do that? Uh, it was just his way of simplifying it enough right. to repeat it. And I talk about that all the time. How do you repeat the same thing over and over and over to hit the the pitch that's in your zone all the time. That's what you're trained and trying to do all the time is to have a perfect swing mechanically on your pitch that you maximize damage on. And I think he's done it and, and did it. So that's what I remember the most. And obviously the bat flip. And why do you just think he's a cool dude? I remember talking to him too in winter ball and, and having conversations and he's just a smart dude and, and realizes who he is and who he was and what he can do, which is pretty cool. Why do you think that, he came here and was able to resurrect his career. Edwin came here, was able to resurrect his career. 
Josh Donaldson came here. I wouldn't say he resurrected his career, but he went on to win an MVP award here. Was it just something I, I, I've often wondered if that every now and then when a team is put together, it's it's like the group just feeds off each yeah, other. Yeah, I think every player is different. They develop it's interesting hearing him talk about because I'd forgotten about him joining a team that had that strong veteran presence, right? Scott Rowland and BJ and yeah, Ryan have, and Vernon Wells. You got to have opportunity. You got to. I, I think the opportunity is a big deal. Like room, more important room, than environment, opportunity. To, uh, Santiago Espinal. That's a prime example. Like you, you got to have opportunity to fail. You got to have opportunity to go through things, right? And he had opportunity to come here and figure out the leg kick and the hand movement and taking the glove out of the out of the hand. Like he needed to figure out all of those, and the best way to do that is to actually go out and do it. Mm-hmm. I feel it. I understand when I don't do it what it feels like, and when I do do it. It really feels the way it's supposed to feel, and I can get the head out and hit that thing where I want it to go. I, I think that has a lot to do with it. JD's a little different, right? Look, he changed everything that he tried to do. Right. I that's, can't. I that's can't. Fair. I can't explain it because nobody can. No. No. You could. I. You've seen me. I sat and listened to him talk for ten minutes, and makes your head want to pop off, and you want to punt it. You had no idea what he's talking about, but it worked for him. It's like the remember the the weighted thing he had on the end of his bat that was yeah. different colors. Yeah, I remember well, that. It was different colors because of the 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 way he wanted because of the person he was facing. It had different weights to it, and that's why he colored it differently. And you would listen to him tell you why he would do it. I remember that. And yeah. and the direction that he wanted the knob of the barrel to go is like, how do you do all of this and have success doing it? It's so I think it's just. Every hitter sort of develops at different times, right? Edwin yeah. Edwin was a defensive liability, and yes, I can remember was. talking to Edwin, and I talked to him a ton because I played with him, and I've known Edwin forever, and that really weighed on him. Like, he was more of everybody sort of made fun of him by the because of the way he played defense, and he was so much worried about not being made fun of that people, he forgot that he forget. was an offensive player first. People forget he was claiming the waivers by Oakland. Yeah, before, and, before he. Uh, and the best thing they did was move him to first. And when he when he was moved to yeah. first, and he started DH and some too, and then he could become a educated guesser, which is something that you Jose was an educated guesser because you hit in the middle of the order. You know, you you sort of have to do kind of things like that. I just think they evolve there who was, they are later and at different times, and I there think was, that's what happened to this three guys. There was another thing Jose was very, 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 very important to, and that was he was one of the first guys to have a late career surge after the steroid era where people, because anytime you saw that, you'd go, oh, you wonder – Jose was the first guy to kind of do that and have people say, okay, it's possible to do this now. Uh, we, it, you know, we can have that discussion. I think he opened the door, frankly, for a lot of older players. I think he made it uh, more comfortable for a lot of older players to do that. I and, think, and I remember him getting his back up when people asked him about that. I think it's funny he brought up the elevated fastball. I, I think that's funny. I think that's a nightmare for tons and tons of hitters they have no idea how to fix it or go after it or try and take it or 
pull it or hit it for home. They have no idea. Jose is sitting at home thinking to himself, I have no idea what I'm doing in elevated velocity fastball. What do you do with it? Kind of makes you wonder if anybody has a chance anymore. Yeah. Uh, seven ten is the first pitch tonight. Shy Davidi will join us. We'll uh, talk a little uh, Guardians and Blue Jays. We've also got trivia question. Your chance to see the Jays and Cubs down at the Rogers Center on August eleventh. We'll get to that. It's Blair and Barker, the pregame edition. I guess you can call it pregame edition on Sportsnet five ninety. The fan, the Sportsnet Radio Network, and Sportsnet. Seven ten will be the first pitch tonight on the Sportsnet Radio Network and across Sportsnet TV. The Jays and the Cleveland Guardians. Say Kikuchi on the mound for the Jays. Tanner Biden on the mound for the Guardians. A reminder: Thursdays at one ten, first pitch. Uh, we'll be doing Blue Jays talk tonight, tomorrow night. And I guess Thursday will just be Blair and Barker post-game edition. Mm. Some such thing like that. Anyway. And then Friday, the Chicago Cubs are in town. That means Marcus Stroman will be here for uh, Jose Batista's induction onto the nice. wall. Uh, we've been giving you the chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season. I think he's there. He's hurt, but I think he's traveling. We've been giving you the chance to win. I think he's hurt, isn't he? Stroman, we've been giving you the chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season long here on Blair and Barker, whether you listen to the radio or on our podcast. And if you do listen to our podcast, please uh, rate and review. All you have to nice about Jeff. Nah, I don't really. All you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question to five ninety five ninety. Our last trivia question and answer was Orioles top prospect and number one overall pick Jackson Holiday's father Matt had a very successful MLB career. Which team did Matt and the Rockies play in, quote, game 163, where he never actually touched home plate on the winning still run? Still hasn't touched it. He still hasn't touched it. The answer was the San Diego Padres. No. And I remember Michael Barrett was the catcher. Whoa. And uh, Barrett's a black belt, I think. Michael Barrett? I, I'm, I'm, don't hold me to that, but I'm sort of sure about that. Yeah. Okay, maybe. Yeah. That has nothing to do with what you just said, but no. today's question is to win tickets. It really doesn't. Today's question is to win tickets to see the Jays and the Cubbies down at you, you okay? Yeah, down I'm at the good. Rogers Center on August eleventh. This Cubs Hall of Famer played basketball for the Harlem Globetrotters during the offseason. Name him. Again, this Cubs Hall of Famer played basketball for the Harlem Globetrotters during the offseason. Name him. If you are I didn't get this. What? You didn't get this? Well, yeah, once you said it, I got it, but... (laughs) Once you said it. Once you told me the answer, I got it. Uh, Thanks, that's great. Text the answer to 590-590 for your shot to win C-Rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. I can't believe you didn't get it. No. Man enough to admit it. Every Canadian should get this. What am I? That's true. I like to think that you're one of us. Oh, I appreciate that. I'll take it. No, you. (laughs) 
710 is the first pitch tonight. Uh, the Jays lineup is as follows. Merrifield, Belt, Guerrero, Springer, Varsho, Jansen, Biggio, Espinal, DeYoung. If you missed it, Davis Schneider was sent down to the minors after going, I'm just kidding. Varsho sitting fifth? Yeah. The good old days are back. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer is on the IL with a cut elbow. And uh, Nathan Lucas has been promoted. Matt Chapman gets a day off. Let's bring in Shai Davidi. Sportsnet's MLB Insider. What's up, Shy? Not much. What's going on? So here's the thing. Uh, before we talk about this particular team, I know you were around when Jose Bautista mm-hmm. came up and was in his pomp. What's your? F- Let's leave aside the bat flip. If I asked you to describe Jose Bautista in about three minutes to me, how would you do that? Oh, in about three minutes. Three That's minutes. a long description. Yeah, yeah it's a big yeah, one. It's, you know, minute and a half. Uh, Let's let's call it a franchise icon, uh, someone who changed the trajectory of the organization and forced the team to uh, abandon its plans for a slow, steady build and try to take advantage of him and Edwin and Cardassian at the same time. Uh, a fearsome slugger who had a competitive fire unlike few players or matched by few players uh, and someone who was uh, dynamic on the field that you just watched in, in every aspect of the game because he could impact a game in so many different ways. How's that? That's pretty good. Where does he rank among all time Blue Jays in your mind? Ooh, man, you guys are coming in hot to right yeah. at the gate. Uh, Barker's had a lot of time to think about this. How about that? But, like he's, he's definitely top five for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then it's kind of a coin flip, right? Like it's it's tough to argue against Carlos Delgado from an offensive perspective. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I think one of the real shames for the Blue Jays is that Carlos Delgado never got to a playoff stage in a yep. Blue Jays uniform. Absolutely, right? that is that is one of the biggest travesties in franchise history. Him and Doc that they weren't able to leverage those two guys. Uh, you know, Doc's obviously right there. Dave Steve's right there. In, in I, 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 you know, I got I'm going to throw a name that I, I don't think gets in there enough. I'm what you've named. You've named all the guys. I always include Tony uh, Tony Fernandez in it. And it. I was just about to say Tony Fernandez. Yeah. In terms of like from a longevity standpoint, I think that his peak is shorter. Than some True. of the other names that we that we mentioned there, but I mean, think of the you know 200 hits as a shortstop, and uh, just just what a what an incredible fielder, what a, an incredible defender, probably the best defender in franchise history, maybe. Yeah, him and Alomar, I would think. Yeah, right there. So, yeah, I think, and then I don't know, toss up. What do you like, right? Obviously, we we all like home runs. Jose Batista, fifty-four home runs mm-hmm. in his greatest season. Uh, certainly, twenty ten was MVP caliber. Uh, it went to Josh Hamilton that year. Twenty eleven was MVP caliber. It went to Justin Verlander that year. Uh, you know, twenty fifteen, he was right there. But you know, Josh Donaldson had a monster season. Uh, you know, like he's he's got to be in a top three, whatever whatever order you want to put it in. Yep. So, so the only thing, so you don't, the only thing you don't remember from him is getting punched in the face. Like the, I, I I try to get that image out of my face, out of my mind, and and not think about it. But it's hard not to, right? It's the sort of the last time, thing you remember with Jose was sort of not his career, and it's kind of the bat flip is obviously the first one. Really? It's that weird. Pops I, in my head, and then that I don't is that. 
I mean, that'd be, be maybe bad of me to think of that, but sort of uh, is a little bit of what I think about when I think of Jose. Also. Well, I, th- I think about that more in terms of just how petty and childish and just how weak that Texas Rangers team was. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, just to, to, to get like, you know what, like you guys, the Texas Rangers threw away that seventh inning. They made like what? Three errors in yeah, that yep, inning. Absolutely. Like, they, like you deserve to lose. Like, and they're just mad about it. Nobody wanted to point the figure at themselves. So they're just like, oh, Jose, you flipped his bat. Well, yeah. How about don't drop the ball three times? <laughs> right. Like, I, I just think that that whole thing is just reflect so poorly on the Texas Rangers. I don't, I don't look at that as a Jose Batista thing. I look at that as the Texas Rangers were a joke kind of thing. That's, that's yeah. a great answer. Chef. No, I, I, that's a great answer. That's exactly, yeah. it's exactly the way I view it. You know, I, I looked at Jose when Jose came over here and the, it's not that the blue Jays were a laughing stock. I don't think anybody took them really seriously though. All of a sudden Jose, because of his personality, a, a team started to dislike the blue Jays. And then it continued with guys like Stroman and, and you know. and They and became JD. bullies on the block. Uh, they became bullies. Josh yeah. Donaldson. Josh yeah. Donaldson, Russ Martin. They had an attitude. And now mm-hmm. I think people respect the organization more. And I really think Jose was the guy that kind of, that, that had a foot in both camps from the, you know, nobody really takes the Blue Jays seriously to, oh, God, I hate these guys. Yeah. To now, you know. oh here they come. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think it's also let's put the kind of his arrival in the context, right? So he came in 2008 in, in that August deal, and the Blue Jays were, you know, that 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 year's another missed opportunity for them to make the playoffs mm-hmm. when they had the best pitching staff in baseball, and they they hired the wrong hitting coach and lost half a year at the plate, and then couldn't recover in time. But the so the Blue Jays were at the tail end of that group, right? And tail end of Doc tail end of AJ Burnett. AJ Burnett was on his way out. Uh, you know, they had Scott Rowland had replaced Troy Gloss. Lyle Overbay was starting to decline. Like that, that group was just coming to the end. And so he shepherded that group and blue just, I mean, he was like a space filler basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yep. if you remember what JP Ricciardi said, when they acquired him, they're like, Oh, this is a guy who'll hit some double digit home runs, but this is Scott Rowland's job, uh, Scott Rowland's job. And I don't want you guys to think we got Mike Schmidt here. Right. And, yeah. was, and they didn't get Mike Schmidt, but they got a 50 homer guy, not a double digit homer guy. Um, and so he, it was going to probably be a long rebuild. And that was the thinking it was like, okay, let's tear this down properly. But then all of a sudden you've got a 54 homer monster and those these guys don't grow on trees, right? You, you tank in order for the chance to try and draft that guy. And if he fell into their laps, so all of a sudden, the Blue Jays kind of had to reset. And, you know, Alex Anthopoulos was just changing things over year over year, trying to find the right mix, trying to leverage the young players that they did have, and just trying to build up a group around him to complement him. And Edwin Encarnacion, another slug group, kind of fell into their laps. And so, yeah, like he, he was like you thought that he was just going to be a placeholder for this team when he arrived and for a team that was just sort of looking casting forward to like 14, 15 when Noah Syndergaard and, and Aaron Sanchez and, and the others were going to come up and be ready. Um, and, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. He changed the dynamic. Like he, he was here to win, right? When he signed his extension, one of the, one of the things that he and Alex talked about was that there was going to be a commitment to try to win. It wasn't just, okay, just sit here and we'll, we'll tank for the next couple seasons and see what happens. It was let's go. 
And so, uh, you know, he absolutely did help change some of the perception around the team. And, and yeah, I think he was, he was a villain in, or he became a villain, but I think he, in a lot of ways, he was just sort of ahead of his time, right? Like, you know, bat flips right now, the, the, the 2015 bat flip is sort of tame by today's standards. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and what you see and, and guys just didn't like it. Uh, they didn't like that. He took them deep and, you know, they got all red assed about it and mm. that sort of gave life to, to the blue Jays and, I think they were just like, all right, you, you're going to have a problem. Well, okay, we'll just keep taking you deep and see what happens. And uh, and that's, you know, you think about the the, the feud with Darren O'Day. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it was basically Darren O'Day was like, I don't like the way you play baseball. And Jose was like, okay, fine. I'll just hit home runs off you. Oh, it's, it's great. <laughs> and, and that's what it turned into. Caleb Joseph's story about Darren O'Day, just how, just the nicest man. And he said he used to look at the schedule and go, oh, God, here come the Blue Jays. And O'Day'd be throwing stuff around and he'd be mad at everybody and he'd be pissed off at this and that. And it was like, and then the Jays would go and Darren O'Day would be a complete, and then the Jays would come back. And Caleb is, Caleb's story about, he said, he's just, it was like Jekyll and Hyde, man. And the only time, the only time the evil guy showed up is when Jose Batista was in town. Yeah, and it's like I mean, you just think about that. The uh, so, so that rivalry, I think, was born in '13, where you know there was a, a, a Friday night game, and Jose Batista ended up striking out against yes. Darren O'Day, and then O'Day started chirping him as he was walking off the field, and Jose was like, "What the hell is this?" And the next day, same spot, Jose takes him deep, and so Jose chirps him as he's walking off the field after touching home. And then the next time O'Day throws at him and then Jose takes him deep and then Jose uh, O'Day throws at him again, but he misses and Jose takes him deep again afterwards. It was just, just a wild, wild sequence. And I think that certainly gave birth to some of the perceptions about the Blue Jays. Uh, But look, I mean, I think if you win, most teams don't like you, right? Why, why would they? No one wants to be like, Oh, okay. I, I respect the way that I lost to these guys. That doesn't happen. So I think that was just a fun time for the Blue Jays. And yeah, they were, they had sort of, uh, John Gibbons once used the term uh, renegades to describe the group. I think that's actually what he said to them in 2016 after they, they clinched the wild card in Boston. He said, you guys are just a bunch of renegades. Um, and so they, the Blue Jays wore it and whether it got into opponents' head and make them play differently. I, I know people who will swear that it certainly got in the Rangers' head, oh. heads and, and was a factor in all the all Texas losses to Toronto. I, I like that Jose worked hard and took advantage of an opportunity. I mean, that's what you have to do. I, I got an opportunity. I didn't take advantage of it. That That's players that do end up sort of like Jose de, de, did and. I think that's pretty cool. Okay, let's move on to the Blue Jays now. Uh, Shy, do you like the, I guess, bald-in approach, and do you think it will work the rest of the season that they have offensively? Well, look, I think they've been sort of looking for some sort of consistent approach all year, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, there's pressure up and down, and it's – not guys just sort of swinging off their shoe tops, but going in with a plan. And, you know, I, I don't want to sort of make too much of this, but I really got the impression after that Baltimore series that, like, they kind of watched what the Orioles did to them this time. And they were like, why aren't we doing this? 
And, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know that like, I haven't spoken to anyone directly about this, but it, it just the impression that I've had and listening to some of the comments in the day since where it was like, you know, we, we can do what Baltimore is doing and why aren't we? And it, it's something that sort of they've been chasing all year. It's tough to be consistent with it, but when they put consistent tenacious at bats together back to back to back, you just, you, you see some of the talent start coming through and the, you know, whether you can do this for the rest of the season, that's a question, but look, this team hasn't put it all together as consistently as they would want to. And, you know, the last four days, they've just, you're like, oh, okay, this is what this group is supposed to look like. You know, they're, they're obviously not going to lose, never lose again, but you just see something there. That you, and, and I'm sure that they're noticing it too. They're like, okay, like it's got to be in their heads. That, like this is, this is who we're supposed to be. And so, you know, can they maintain that? I think that's going to be the challenge from here on out. You know, when a guy like Davis Schneider does what he has done, um, it, Generally, for a guy to come from the 27th or 28th round to, to get to where he is now, somebody in the organization has to have had this dude's back. Do we have any idea who it was? It's a great question. Who it was that was in Davis Schneider's corner? It, may, it, could have been a, it could have been several people, but, I mean, Shai, you know, as, as well as I do. There, for a guy like that to get here, one or two people had to, had to pound the table for him. I, I think he's the type of guy, kind of like Kevin Pillar. Right where this guy just wins everybody over at every level, and that you, you go into it, you're like, okay, he's not going to be our focus because we've got our priority guys, and we've got our high draft picks or our big international signings, and they've got to get the bulk of playing time. And he just takes the field, and he just forces you to keep playing him because he just delivers. And uh, that's kind of how you do it when you're one of those players. Like you really have to scratch and claw. And then eventually one manager says to uh, the manager on the next level up saying, Hey, you know, this guy's, this guy's going to do everything you need. And then, you know, the next manager sees it and, you know, plays him probably more than he expected to. And then all of a sudden he's like, he's, he's passing it on. And that's typically for, for guys who, who fight that road, that's typically how it plays out. So you know, it's a tremendous story. It's kind of funny to think like the 28th round doesn't even exist anymore. Right. right. Um, so, so, you know, that guy, the next Davis Schneider, he's, he's signing as an undrafted free agent and he's got to fight that road. And maybe it's even a little bit tougher because there are fewer levels now and there's, there's less opportunity for, for guys to find themselves in pro ball. But, um, it's it's all it's it's all a full credit to him. You know, this this is somebody who wins people over by the way he plays, and you saw just the way he's the fearlessness that he stepped on in the big league field, and the, you, you saw how appreciative of uh, everything he was. But he's just like, I'm just going to go do it, and you, you you have to admire that because it's and Kev, you know this well. Like it's it's just so many things can get into your head yeah. to to be able to just sort of lock in and perform like that. With that type of fearlessness, uh, you know, the, there's something that's really remarkable about it. Shy, do you think they think that Jordan Hicks is a no-brainer? No-brainer for me definition is forget pockets. When that when his inning is up, he's coming in the game. 
Yeah, I think he's a, he's a no-brainer for sure. Yeah. Uh, and like, I think there are going to be times where they'll go into a situation. Okay, so, so like uh, Baltimore Orioles say, and like you've got you know three lefties coming up in a row. Yeah. It's like okay, this uh, this quite obviously is a spot for Tim Mesa. But I think by and large, uh, for Jordan Hicks, or maybe it's Air, maybe it's Swanson in, in that spot. If you used Mesa earlier, where you're just like, okay, this just absolutely calls for a lefty eater. But yeah, I, I think he's a no doubter. And look, the, I mean, part of the reason why they paid the price to, to get him was because they felt he was a no doubter. So uh, you know that hundred and two and and uh, with with the sweeper and. You know the way he made poor Danny Jansen work yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it's quite something. So uh, it, it's really impressive. And look, I, I do. You know, talking to some people around the Jays, I think they also believe that him getting with Pete Walker and uh, and the pitching development staff around the club, they feel that they might even be able to get a bit more out of him too. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, not to get ahead of ourselves here, but Jordan Romano will be back at some point soon, it seems, based on the reports of his bullpen. Chad Green will be here at some point soon. Um, uh, Trevor Richards will likely, I mean, I presume he'd be back from his neck irritation. Now you have Jordan Hicks. There's not going to be enough room at the end here, is there? Uh, look, this, this, that's the what you want. You want to be able to have sort of like your A and your B group. And it's not that, you know, the B group is so much worse than the A group, but they're like, okay, you guys can pitch fresh. And then these guys pitched last night. Now you guys can go pitch fresh. And all of a sudden, everyone's maybe a bit more effective because they're not having to do back-to-backs or three and four or four and fives as as these guys have sometimes had to do this year. So I think that that's really the dream scenario for, for the blue Jays. That's what you want to have in, in your bullpen. Look, and these things sort of always sort themselves out, right? You know, someone may go through a bit of a, a tired patch or someone may be sore for a little bit, whatever the case may be. So then you can give that guy a breather and you can go to the, to the other group. So, you know, the blue Jays have been trying for a long time to get to the point where, they have all these leverage arms that they can just pick from and never really have to go to a bad day. I mean, it's, it's only three years ago we were talking about, you know, Joel Piamps and Travis Bergen and, yeah. and, and, and others in, in leverage, Anthony Castro. And, and now they're in this situation. This is, this is John Schneider's dream. Yep. So we're going to let you scoot, man. Thanks for doing this. Great stuff, buddy. Thanks. Yeah. No problem. Take care, fellas. See ya. Shai Davidi, our MLB insider with Sportsnet. Yeah, it. It. I mean, obviously, it's a great. It's a great problem to have. There, there are some veteran guys down there that you would make mad. You got to be careful with that. That's. I know it's all about winning, and I know people are rolling their eyes. Well, Garcia and Swanson would be it, kind of the two guys I would think whose role would be. Would be I mean, Mays's role isn't going to change. Uh, Trevor Richards' role isn't going to change. Sw- Swanson's one of the main reasons why they're at where they're at, though. Like well, I, I understand, that's lately, my point. Yeah. lately he's been, you know, the, he's had some challenges. Oh, he put he put up he put up with some abuse big time. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so did. I think you got to be careful with that. I know Petey's really good at that, and John's really good at the communication thing. And I'm sure they'll massage the way they need to massage. They got to be careful with that. I get it. It's about winning, and maybe it's as simple as I got my ninth inning guy, I got my eighth inning guy, like we mentioned earlier, and then there's everybody else. 
And sort of what Shia was saying, everybody else will take care of everybody else. Well, I wonder, too, with, with Eric Swanson. This was a guy who was basically tossed to the curb by the Seattle Mariners, <clears throat> pardon me, during the playoffs last year. Well, you can sort of see you know, why. Yeah. I don't, I'll do no, respect. Yeah. I'll do respect. You're, I know what you're I'll saying. I'll do yeah. respect. You can just tell the more he throws, his stuff just seems to not really be it there consistently. And, and that's the that's the worry, right, is when, you know, you're getting closer to those last 15 games of the year, if they do matter, which I'm assuming they will, and you need that guy. Will he be the one of the guys? That's the thing. Yeah. It it uh You wonder. And listen, a lot of this could could be solved if if like I mean, I don't I haven't seen Chad Green pitch, but I know that they want to see him in back to back days. And I will say this if Chad Green is throwing ninety three, ninety four, I I mean, you know, Lo- what what does that give location me? in September with high leverage guys normally don't work. Yeah. You gotta stuff him to death. And if is Chad Green coming up with ninety three with a slider and gonna stuff you to death, that screams location to me. Yeah. I that's again, there's some things here, right, that they need to work out and but they got some guys yeah. now. And pa- they got power guys, which they haven't had in a while. And it's sort of like Christmas morning. If they're all working and they got power, you know, it's like the mad scientist. Who do you go to? And can I match up the right po- pocket? That word's that word would scare you against good teams. Uh, We are just a few minutes away from first pitch in Cleveland. The sun is out. The Guardians and the Jays, the second of a four-game series. Mr. Barker and me, well, we'll be back following the game for Blue Jays Talk. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the ballgame.